Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to what is part two of the deep dive into fortified wine. Now, if you didn't catch the episode on sherry, Van du Natural and Rutherglen Muscat, then make sure you go back to episode 113. So if you have already listened to the first part, you'll know that this is a flashcard style kind of episode. So inspired by some of my wine friends doing their WSET diploma. So one of the six units that you need to take is on fortified. Now, you don't have to be taking any exams to benefit from this episode. If you are just a wine lover wanting all the detail on these wine styles, or if in fact you're just intrigued what would be needed to be able to pass one of those exams, this episode is for you. And if for any reason this is your first time listening to this podcast, I promise the majority are not this hardcore. But embrace it anyway, get ready to get wine geeky and next week we will be back to more softer wine topics. (laughs) Don't forget, with every episode there is a transcript which I always think is a great resource so you can check out the spellings of wine regions or names that you didn't understand that aren't in English but especially for these kind of episodes it becomes even more of a study guide. So you're going to find the link to download the transcript at the top of the show notes. And again, I'm leaving little pauses between my questions. So pause the audio and have a think if, of course, you are testing your memory. Otherwise, just play as normal and enjoy. So if you are all still with me, brains engaged, let's start with port. So with port, we need to go to the Douro wine region in Portugal. And let's start with an easy one for you all. What is the name of the river? Douro, the Douro River. Yep. So at the coast, on opposite sides of the river, there are two main cities. Now, what are their names? So you have Porto on one side, and Villanova de Gaia on the other. And many warehouses and lodges of the port producers can be found here. However, now many have moved their storage further up the river. So what are the three areas for production in Douro? Well, from west going to east, you have the Baixacorgo, the Simacorgo, and then Douro Superior. Now, what are the hottest parts and the rainiest parts? Let's actually go into detail on the climate. It's worth remembering that as you go more inland, it gets hotter and drier the further east you go. So, Gegua in Baixa Corgo rains about 900 millimetres a year. 
Pinhao in the Simacorgo is 700 millimetres rain. And then, as the Douro Superior borders on to Spain, it's about 400 millimetres of rain. So close to the coast, you're going to find a more moderate maritime climate with high rainfall. And then in the Douro Superior, which also is known as Upper Douro, it's a warm to hot continental climate with much less rain so do remember that transition and change of climate throughout the region now both the Simacorgo and the Douro Superior are considered the premium subregions for top quality port production whereas Baixacorgo produces lighter styles now there are some iconic and interesting ways to terrace the land as in the Douro the hills are steep. Seriously google this, look it up, it is one of the most beautiful sites. This is a UNESCO heritage site with these incredible steep hills. So what are the ways that they can terrace? Well firstly you have socalcos. Now this is a type of terrace that is very old they are walled terraces there is really that perception of quality with the socalcos there's never more than two rows of vines on this flat terrace that's been created and you need manual labor for this now introduced in the 1970s was the patamares which have a slightly wider and a sloping terrace so typically two rows of vines again but this design makes it possible for small tractors to pass through and then that allows a slight mechanization but it's still quite limited then in the 1980s Vinaos al Alto were introduced. So this is basically unterraced, but you can only do this kind of planting when the slopes are much less steep. So limited mechanization is an option. Now this is much more common in the Douro Superior because the land is flatter. Now the issue that we have with the last two so with the Patamares and with the Vinos al Alto, they are both based on slopes, which means erosion can be a problem. More people are planting in the Douro Superior, which is a the new sub-region to explore as it has that flatter land and therefore it is easier and it's cheaper to harvest as mechanization is more widely used. Now, quickly to touch on the soil types in Douro, what are they? There are two main soils. Both begin with an S, schist and slate. Now, let's go to the grape varieties used in port. Obviously, the when we think of port, we think of the black varieties. We think of ruby port, vintage port. So we're going to focus a lot more on the reds. There are five main black varieties. Two of them begin with Toriga. The other three begin with Tinta. So what are they? Toriga Nacional, Toriga Franca, Tintorores, which is known also in Spain as Tempranillo, Tinta Borraca, and Tinta Cao. Now, what does Toriga Nacional bring to Redport? Well, the one thing to know about this grape variety, it is considered the finest grape of the Douro, the number one. 
It gives exceptionally low yields of very small berries and small bunches and it's early maturing. Wines are full bodied, they're concentrated. Now due to the cost, the rarity and the quality, it is only going to be used for the very best wines. But what about Toriga Franca? Well, it's considered on par to Toriga Nacional. It requires warm conditions to ripen properly. The wines are deeply coloured, they're well structured, robust and have an excellent perfume. Now very often this grape variety is referred to as the Cabernet Franc of Portugal whereas Toriga Nacional is the Cabernet Sauvignon. So if you can think of those two Bordeaux varieties and how they work together this is kind of the way that Toriga Franca and Toriga Nacional can work together in the Douro. Now what about Tinta Rores which as I already mentioned is known as Tempranillo in Spain? It has a higher yield, it adds finesse to the blend. This is considered a more lightweight grape by Portuguese standards. And Tinta Cow. So this has much smaller plantings in the Douro. It's late ripening, it produces small bunches of tiny grapes and it will add tannins to the wine. Then we have one more. Tinta Borroca. Well... This has large berries, larger bunch than the other varieties, uh, but this is thin skin, so it can suffer excess heat. This is susceptible to dehydration, which means that it can usually be counted on to add high sugar levels to the must. It provides softness, body, rustic qualities. It's high in alcohol with those jammy flavors of cherry and blackberry, but it lacks in complexity and acidity and therefore is always normally a blend rather than a standalone grape variety. Now, let's get on to how port is made. Do you remember, I mentioned in part one, that port is the only fortified wine that's using a slightly lower neutral grape spirit to stop the fermentation process. Do you remember the percentage? It is 77%. And as the fermentation has stopped before dryness, you will, of course, get a sweet wine with a final alcohol percentage of about 20%. Now, because the winemakers need that sugar left in the grapes, they will extract all the colour and the tannins, which is essential for the extended ageing that many of them go through. And this will be done in two to three days. So why is it so important to get this extraction in this short period of time? The reason is because the fermentation is so short so they can maintain the sugars and so that they have as much flavors and structure from the grape skins effectively before the spirit is added so that it can have the intensity of flavor that we know and we love. So let's talk extraction methods then as there are a few. Again feel free to pause now if you want to have a think about all of them. But let's talk about the traditional method first. What is it and how is it done? So until the 1960s, most vineyards were equipped with ligares. So these are wide open granite troughs, effectively. And in there, you will put the grapes and you will tread the grapes by feet. So the foot 
allows for the juice to be extracted without releasing any of the bitter phenolics found in the pips. It's really labor intensive. The foot treading will last for hours, typically at least three or four hours. And it is considered to produce the finest ports. So during this time, the cap is formed. So this is where the skins that have separated from the rest of the juice, they've risen up to the top of the fermenting liquid. And they are punched down by feet to extract more colour and more tannins. So we have developed a more modern way to replicate this, which is faster and of course cheaper. What is it called? Well, there is robotic lagars or piston plungers. So these are created to do a similar job, but of course save time and people. So imagine an opened topped stainless steel vat where the cap is pressed down with robotic pistons or in the case of robotic legars a silicon covered robotic foot is used now the latter can be more accurate in copying the original act of treading as these robotic feet will move kind of up and down through the legar now there is also one other method and this is called auto vinifiers. So how do they work? Firstly, they work without electricity. So actually back in the past, this was great as they would often have issues with external power. So rarely these are used to make vintage ports. This production method is focused on a much cheaper category. So what happens, they destem and crush the grapes and put them into the tank. The auto vinifier takes advantage of the CO2 that's been built up as a byproduct of fermentation. So as the CO2 builds, it forces the wine up a tube. It gathers in a holding area and then... When that's full, a valve releases the CO2 and the wine in the holding area sprays down over the cap. And this process keeps repeating every 10 minutes or so. It is a similar process to pumping over. The negative of this, though, is that it's not as extractive. So they are your methods, your three methods to extract colour and tannins before adding in your neutral grape spirit. Now let's go to maturation. So what is port generally matured in? Wood casks called pipes. Now they are typically 550 litres and they're well seasoned but they have no flavour to impart into the wine. Now let's look at the styles of port. What is the youngest, the most produced and the cheapest typically? The answer is ruby. So how is ruby port actually produced? Well, after fermentation, it's stored in tanks made of concrete or stainless steel. This is because we don't want any oxidative aging. It's all about that rich red claret color in the wine. It's very often a blend. So not from a single site or a subregion. It is fined, it's called filtered before bottling. And then this is to drink young and typically doesn't improve with age. But what if it says on the label Ruby Reserve? So 
This is a better quality ruby port that has been approved by the IVDP's tasting panel, so the Camara de Proveedores. Now, this wine, it used to be called Vintage Character Port, but from 2002 was banned because, as you can probably imagine, it appears to be connected to Vintage Port, but this is not the same quality. It's not single vintage. Now, the quality of fruit should be better than that of a standard ruby, which is often bulk produced. Very often, reserve ruby has three years or so of aging in large barrels or in tanks of concrete or steel. If aged in wood, this could allow for a touch of oxidative notes in the wine, but concrete and steel, which is inert, would mean the wine stays very fresh and fruity. This is just down to the choice of the winemaker. Again, this is not a wine to be aged as it is filtered before bottling. Now, what does LBV stand for? Late bottle vintage. And what are you going to get with this port style? So this is a single vintage port that has been aged in wood for about four to six years before bottling. They tend to be lighter than a vintage port. They typically are ready to be drunk and don't benefit from further aging in bottle. However, there are two styles of this. So which are they? Style number one is fined and filtered before bottling. The second style is not. You don't need to decant the fine and filtered style, but it is thought that you would lose some of the complexity as those flavors have been stripped out. Unfiltered wines, on the other hand, do need to be decanted. In more recent years, you will see on the labels the word unfiltered or bottle matured or even both. And if you find a 2002 or before This style may have been marketed as traditional, which is a description that is no longer permitted. Now, it is these unfiltered ones that can improve with a few extra years of age. Since 2002, I'm mentioning 2002 a lot. (laughs) That's when lots of changes happened. If a bottle says bottle matured, what does this mean? It's seen at least three years of bottle maturation before release. So now, yep, there's more. We are going to go on to crusted port. What is this? This is a wine that's aged for four years in wooden vats with no filtration and a minimum of three years in bottle before release. For this reason, it forms a crust or you know, sediment in the bottle. And this can help develop its character as it ages. So what about vintage port? How do you describe vintage port? So it has to be 100% from the declared vintage year and it's considered the most premium as only the very best years are declared, which on average are three in every decade, although there does tend to be more now. The decision of declaring a vintage is made in the spring of the second year following the harvest, and this decision is up to each individual porthouse. Now, how long does the wine spend in barrel for a vintage port? So between 18 months and up to three years. Hence why they're still very ruby in colour with very fresh fruit flavours. And then after barrel aging, 
It may need anything from 10 to 40 years in bottle to age and of course will evolve during that time. What about a single Kinterport? So very, very simply, this comes from a single estate and Kinter refers to a vineyard. So let's jump across to Tawny now. What is the main difference in flavour profile and wine production from those ruby ports? So these wines, they're aged in wood, they are blended wines and they are not from one vintage. This means that they are exposed to gradual oxidation and evaporation. What that means is the colour of the wine is going to go more tawny, brown, hence the name. And the fresh fruit flavours will actually change to dried fruits and you'll get more nuts in the aromas. I will note that it is standard to make tawny from red grapes, but some porthouses are now making tawnies with white grapes. So you can get a basic tawny. If there's no indication of age, how long has it spent in wood? A basic tawny spends two years in wood. Then you have categories of 10, 20, 30 or even 40 year old tawny. So what do the numbers mean? So a common misconception is that it is the minimum average age of the blend. Well, this is actually not true. The wine is a blend of several vintages and the category indicated is the target age profile of the port, not the actual age. So it's actually more suggestive of the style, if that makes sense. Now, what is the name of a vintage tawny? So this is a wine oxidatively aged in barrel from just one vintage. It is called Colietta. And how long must it mature in wooden casks for? A minimum of eight years. Now, there is a style that, that many people have never heard of, and it's very rare. This is called Garrafera. Now, what is the production here? So, number one, it's a single harvest, like a colietta. It combines both oxidative and reductive aging. So... The short story is, it's a vintage dated tawny that also has some time aging in glass that is sealed by a cork, so no oxygen. So, it's aged in wood for four to eight years, then it's transferred to glass demijohns, or also known as bonbons. This time in demijohns could last up to... 50 years, but a minimum of 15 years. So the style is that of tawny, but with an added softened smoothness and freshness of red fruits. But don't confuse the word garrafera, which is also used on other Portuguese wines. And that would mean a reserve wine with extra aging if it's any other wine but port. So just keep in mind the same word is used in two different contexts. Now, does rosé port exist? If you said yes, you are correct. They're made in a similar way to ruby, but fermented as a rosé. So less time on the skins, meaning a lighter extraction of colour and of course tannins. So these will be fresh and fruity in style, typically 
uncomplicated. And this was a style that was first introduced by Croft in 2008, should you be interested. Now, what about Whiteport and its production method? Well, generally, they are bottled young, but some whites are high enough quality to be aged in wood. So you could see some labelled as tawny port or as a colietta. They will be light, fresh with citrus and stone fruits, a little honey, maybe a bit of nuttiness. It can range from almost dry to very sweet. Oh, and it is great with a tonic. Move aside gin. Just head to the Douro and ask for a Porto Tonico. So what about the grapes used? And this is where it all goes a little peat tongue. <laughs> are you ready? There are lots of white grapes that can be used. So here are a few for you to try and remember. Malvasiafina, Arunto, Cordega, Escanacao, Folgasao, Coveo, Viocino and Rabegato. You might be happy to know on this specific episode, I'm not going to go into details of what each one of these grapes adds to a blend because there isn't actually enough time. I shall leave that for you guys. But right now, I think we need to go over to Madeira. So the island of Madeira, this is found about a thousand kilometers southwest of Portugal and 500 kilometers off the coast of Morocco. So let's start with the climate. It is an island, so it is maritime, actually a temperate maritime. So in detail, it is hot and humid in the summer with mild winters. It is on average cooler on the north side of the island. And there, there is higher rainfall on the north side and in the mountainous center. Now at the highest altitudes, you will get about 3000 millimeters of rain, whereas at the sea level, it will come down to about 500 millimeters. Now, because of this weather and humidity, what is one of the biggest issues in the vineyards? It is fungal disease. Now, how would you describe the landscape of Madeira and how are the vines planted? Again, just like I said, to Google and look at beautiful pictures of the Douro Valley. Have a look at Madeira. It is so green and lush and steep. It's really a sight. So I've already given you a little bit of a hint. The vineyards are all on steep slopes. So think 45 degrees to even 65 degrees. And they are shaped by narrow terraces. Therefore mechanization is pretty much impossible. Now there is a traditional training method for the vines here. Do you know the name? It is called latada, which is training the vines up a pole and then allowing them to spread out horizontally onto a network of wires. So effectively it is pergola. Now if the terrain is flat enough, <laughs> if it's flat enough, there is a preferred method which is cordon VSP, so vertical shoot positioning, as this of course can help with fungal disease. What type of soil can you find in Madeira? Well, volcanic and very fertile. Now let's get straight to the grapes. 
What are the four noble varieties? And ideally, if you're pausing this, think in order of the level of sweetness they would produce. So, from the driest style to the sweetest, you have Circiel, Verdello, Boal, and Malvasia. So, very often, Malvasia is called Malmsey. Firstly, for all these grapes, how is the acidity? The thing that sets these fortified wines apart from all other fortified wines, if you are tasting blind, is the searing acidity. So always make note of that. Now, what should somebody expect from a Circeal in terms of flavours and where can you find it grown? So a Circeal is a dry wine with subtle fruit and nut aromas it's going to be fresh and crisp it's going to be the freshest and mainly it is grown in the north of the island but you can find some in the south what about Vidello? so this is medium dry it's aromatic with hints of caramel and maybe a little smoky spicy edge again the majority is grown in the north but at a slightly lower altitude to Circeo but a little bit can be found in the south. Now, what about Boal? And also, it's worth pointing out, the spelling is B-O-A-L, but is often spelt the English way, which is Boal, B-U-A-L. So, Boal is medium sweet. So, this will have raisiny flavours. Typically, it likes to be planted in the warmer regions of the south. And then lastly we have Malvasia or Malmsey. So this is the sweetest in style. Lovely, rich, coffee, chocolate, caramel flavours. This also likes the warmth of the south. It was the first to be planted on the island of Madeira and it's typically found at altitude of 150 to 200 metres. Now, there are two other varieties that are very rare but notable. And there are some very old bottles that exist. What are these two grapes? Number one, Terrantes, which is a white variety. And then you have Bastado, that is a black grape. Now, Bastado is almost entirely planted to just experimental vineyards now. Due to not being that exciting a variety, Terrantes is seeming to have a little comeback. Then there is the final grape, a black grape that is grown all over the island and can be used to produce all four styles. So from dry to sweet. What is this grape called? Tinta Negra or Tinta Negra Mole. And how much of the Madeira's production is now made with this grape? Well, surprisingly, or perhaps not surprisingly for you, 85%. Now, this is a variety that was introduced to Madeira in the 18th century. It's adapted really well and is now the most commonly planted vine on the island. It's high yielding. Note that Tinta Negra cannot be varietally labelled. Now to the fun bit, as we get to talk about the wines being madderized. Of course, first, it needs to have a neutral grape spirit added. What percentage will that be? 96%. 
And then the alcohol strength will be somewhere between 17.5% and 21%. Now here it all does depend on what grape and or style you are making as to when you arrest the ferment. If you have the grape Malvasia, which will be the sweetest style, or Boal, which is medium sweet, you will fortify earlier. So with Malvasia, think within 24 hours. If it is Circeal, which is a dry style, or Vidello, which is medium dry, you will wait much longer. So with Circeal, which is dry, think seven days. Note though, with the romance of the four noble varieties aside, if you are making a cheap Madeira, you will probably ferment it to dryness, allow it to mature, and we'll talk about that next, and then you'll fortify it and sweeten it to the desired level. So maturation for Madeira is all about heat and oxygen. There are two methods. What are they both called? Estufa and cantero. So what happens when a wine is heated by using an estufa again? So the wine goes into stainless steel tanks that are heated to between 45 and 50 degrees Celsius for at least three months. This method is not for the best wines. It's hotter, it's faster than the Cantero method. The chances are if the wine is under five years old, it is likely to have been made using the Estufagem process. And typically, if the wine is made from the Tinta Negra grape. These wines may also be sold after just two years of aging. Now, if you're making a premium wine, it will go through the Cantero process, a name that is derived from the wooden support beams that they are placed on, and they are called Canteros. The wine is aged in barrels of various sizes, and it's then stacked in the lofts of the producer's warehouse or their lodge in Madeira's largest city, Funchal. There, softly and gently, they're going to be heated naturally by the sun. Temperatures will be in excess of about 30 degrees Celsius. The four noble varieties, Tirantes and only the very best Tinta Negra will go through this process and they will be aged for a minimum of three years. The casks are never 100% full, so you will get a slow oxidation and alongside the heat and with the oak, the wine will become more concentrated. You're going to get these tertiary aromas of dried fruit, smoke, roasted nuts and spices and you will get a smoother, more elegant wine here than those that are matured in an estufagem. Now, I doubt you would be asked in your WSET how the method of heating was actually discovered, but it's a rather magical story. So I'm quickly going to tell it anyway. So Madeira was a popular stopping destination for the ships that were crossing the Atlantic because of its location. This is the era when barrels of wine were loaded on board the ships to, of course, give the sailors something to drink, but importantly, to act as ballasts for the ships. So a barrel of wine one time came back to Madeira having not been drunk, who knows why, and it had been on this long tour to India. So the shipper who took back the wine, he tasted it and realised it was so much better. So the ship had crossed the equator four times, so the wine had been naturally heated by the high tropical temperatures. After this, it became normal to heat the wine on these round trips, and the wines were known as Vino da Roda, which means round trip wines. 
But after this time, and with the fact that this was really actually a costly process, the producers brought home this art of oxygen and heat to the barrels by using the cantero process up in the lofts. Now, enough storytelling. Back to the facts and figures again. Sorry. Uh, Let's look at labelling terms and age indications. Now, if you see finest on the label, what does this mean? It means it's been aged for three years. What does a reserve or reserver mean on the label? This has a minimum aging of five years. Now, what about special reserve? This will be a minimum of 10 years. And at this point, you are likely to find the four noble varieties and a wine aged in the Cantero process. Now, I apologize. There's lots of reserve terms. (laughs) We also have extra reserve. So this one is over 15 years minimum aging. If you see Colietta on the label, what does this mean? Well, it has to be aged for at least five years in cask and come from one specific vintage. If it says frasquiera or vintage, what does this mean? Well, it has to be aged for at least 20 years. And I think the name is clear that this too must come from one vintage. Now, let's talk about an interesting style. It's called rainwater. What is it? So this is a medium dry style, kind of similar to Vidello, but it's most likely to be made from Tinta Negra. It must be aged for at least three years, but no more than five years. It's not clear how it got its name. If it was by an accident where the wine was diluted by rainwater or if the vines were in need of local rainwater to survive due to being planted on steep hillsides. However, it is a light style that still exists today, but the majority tends to be shipped to America. Now that's it, I promise, for the wine facts. If you do want to know more about Madeira in a more storytelling, cultural way, you can also go back to episode 107 with Joe Wadsack. But for now, we are all fortified experts. That or our heads have exploded. And so to lighten the mood, to finish off, I found some wise words from Charles Baudelaire, a French poet of the 1800s. And he was noted to have said, one should always be drunk. That's all that matters. But with what? With wine, with poetry, or with virtue, as you choose, but get drunk. So that was a lot to take in. Don't forget about the transcript if you want to scan through that later for ease. But for now, if you are revising, try to find the calm in all the chaos. You will soon be able to drink a Madeira without having to analyse it. And for the rest of you listening who just can't stop learning about wine for the fun of it, my God, I salute you. Now, next week, I'm bringing us back to some producer profiling. I'm chatting with... Philip Cox, owner of Cramely Rakash. Many of you will know I visited Romania several weeks ago and it was to go and see this winery. The largest in Romania, responsible for over 50% of the exports around the world. And don't think that Romania is just making a little dribble here and there at nearly 5 million hectolitres 
Romania sits just behind Portugal in terms of volume produced. So I promise you, it's worth knowing about them. And I can safely conclude, I think they make the best Pinot Noir in the world with typicity for less than £10 a bottle. So get ready for that. Thank you as always for listening. Please do like the podcast and share it across your socials. Take a screenshot or send the link to a friend. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcast, please do take a moment to leave me a review or if you're on Spotify, a rating as this really helps support my work and makes the podcast more discoverable so others can benefit. Right, after all that brain work, I think we all deserve a glass of LBV port and a gooey chocolate brownie. Great pairing. You're welcome. (laughs) So until next week, cheers to you.